Well, I think it goes without saying, this is one passage is very difficult for a priest to preach on. We lose in our society today the difference between action and person. As we always teach, love the sinner but hate the sin seems to be lost. If you speak out today against any action, you are automatically stated that you are against the person. There was a member of the Tampa, Ray, uh, Tampa Bay Rays baseball team, actually five of them, that opted not to participate in Pride Night out of their religious beliefs. And one of the players on the team came out and very much um, criticized them in the public media for their hatred of him as a person. This is where the difficulty comes because this is not about that at all. It's actually the opposite. It's about the love of a person so much that you don't want them to be thrown into Gehenna. Now it's hard also because of the self-righteousness of the situation for a priest to get up here and teach and preach what you should do. When I look at myself, I pray every day that how do I not come across as hypocritical? But yet I teach everybody, don't be afraid to go back to God even when you're in sin. And a lot of people say, but Father, if I do go to church in my state, I'm a hypocrite. We are all broken. We are all sinners. And unfortunately, I don't think there's a single person watching right now that has not been affected by divorce in some way, directly or indirectly. If not yourself, a loved one, a sibling, um, a child, relative, neighbor, coworker, it has affected all of us. And so this teaching of Christ, while not easy, is imperative. Now he references the bill of divorce. Why did Moses give a bill of divorce? It's so it could provide legal protection for the woman. See what happened in this time of ancient Palestine and even before with Moses is if the husband was not gonna take care of the woman anymore, she was abandoned he should then relinquish his right to her. This is what Moses was doing. It didn't mean divorce was good in the eyes of God. This allowed another man to marry her and provide for her if the first man decided he was not. So this is the way it was. So it's not really saying divorce is acceptable. Remember the other passage was at Mark 10. This one here is uh, Matthew 5, 27 to 32, but I think it's Mark 10 that Jesus says and corrects them. You know, he says, uh, it wasn't this way from the beginning. This is a concession. And so he is saying it's an unfortunate, again, concession. So Jesus shows that divorce, though, was allowed. But basically he goes and says it's not part of God's original plan. What God has brought together, let no man come up, take apart. So how do we handle our loved ones who are divorced? Does that mean that, that, that they're going to be thrown into Gehenna automatically? No, but 
We have to pray because the, the situation could be serious. All right, so is divorce in itself a sin? Is it in itself a sin? Is it, is it allowed by the church? Many say remarriage without an annulment and not divorce is the sin. And most of the time that's true. Divorce in and of itself is not necessarily a sin. Marriage without an annulment definitely is. But just divorce in itself may or may not be. Why? It depends on the circumstances. All right, Catechism 2384 says divorce is a grave offense against the natural law. I'm just reading from the Catechism. It does injury to the covenant of salvation. So the church says that divorce can add to the gravity of the rupture in our world. It affects children. It affects society. So in 2385, it says divorce is immoral because it introduces disorder into the family and into society. This is why God said, Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man separate. So based on this verse in the catechism, we can surmise divorce may, may be sinful in and of itself. However, one spouse may be innocent. One spouse may be innocent. They tried. They tried and gave everything they had, but were abandoned. I have always used my sister as an example here. Catechism 2386. It can happen that one of the spouses is the innocent victim of a divorced decreed by civil law. This spouse has therefore not contravened the moral law. Not a sin. There is a considerable difference between a spouse. This is right out of the catechism. There is a considerable difference between a spouse who has sincerely tried to be faithful to the sacrament of marriage and is unjustly abandoned. And one who through his own grave fault destroys a canonically valid marriage. Notice the catechism uses the word his. <laughs> I probably shouldn't point this out, but it can go his or her. So when is divorce allowed? Is it ever? Well, again, the church says if there is an innocent victim, like we just read, somebody abandoned. But let's go back to 2383. If civil divorce remains the only possible way of ensuring certain legal rights, the care of children, or the protection of an inheritance, surprisingly, it can be tolerated and does not constitute a moral offense. Now, does this mean we use it as an excuse? No. Well, I just don't feel that I like him anymore. I like Fred at work a lot better now, so I'm going to go get a divorce. No. 
It doesn't work that way. Divorce people. Again, I point to my sister. She wasn't receiving Holy Communion because she thought as a divorced person, she couldn't. I, I was like, oh my goodness. No, you've been abandoned. You have not remarried without an annulment. My sister's not married. She can receive Holy Communion. And so while divorced people, this is true, may receive Holy Communion, many don't know this, but not if you are remarried without an annulment. Now let's talk about this. Both parties may be guilty in a divorce. If the two are just not wanting to reconcile, not caring, that's just convenience to them, then yeah, both may be guilty, but only one party may be guilty. The other may be innocent, but always someone is responsible. What do you do in those cases if it's not working? Canon law says the best thing to start is to forget permission from your bishop for a separation. A separation. People say, I just can't live with them anymore, especially if you're in fear. Church does not say you have to remain in the same home as somebody who has put you in grave danger or your children. The church does not teach that. It's a very big misunderstanding. The catechism says, try separation. And then if that is impossible, then divorce for things like protection or legal rights. Now, it says here in one of the other passages that marriage, or excuse me, divorce is allowed for unchastity. And people think, and I think that might be Mark, people think that that means if your spouse was unfaithful, because Jesus says in the cases of unchastity. So a lot of divorces happen because people think, well, my spouse was unfaithful, even though they've repented. My own cousin is in this situation. The spouse was unfaithful one time, broke down, said it was a moment of weakness, never excusable, but forgivable. And this person knew he did wrong, admitted it, said it would never happen again, but the divorce went through. It's actually not what Jesus is giving as a, as a permissible reason for divorce. When Jesus says for reason of unchastity, he actually doesn't mean cheating. Unchastity means an invalid marriage here. And actually in Matthew, the words is translated correctly, unless the marriage is unlawful. That's what an annulment means, that the marriage was never lawful to begin with. There never was a marriage. Now, not meaning it's not a civil marriage, meaning not a sacramental marriage. And I'm going to attempt to try to explain this in a few minutes, because this is critically important, who people say, I don't want my children to be illegitimate. Your children are not illegitimate in an annulment. Let me explain this. All right. If there is an invalid marriage, there should be a split because the people are not validly married anyway. In order for the church to say there's a valid marriage, we're talking sacramentally, not legally. Okay? 
The church acknowledges sacramental marriages. But you still may be married legally at a justice of a peace. That's why your children are not illegitimate. Even if the church says it's annulled, there was no valid marriage. It doesn't mean legally you weren't married and therefore your children are illegitimate. That's not it at all. The church acknowledges that you are legally married, but that's not what they are concerned about. The church is concerned about, are you sacramentally married? What do I mean? All right. A number of elements must be present for the sacrament of marriage to occur. A sacramental marriage. First is canonical form. What does that mean, Father? That means that a Catholic must be married in a Catholic church. If you are baptized Catholic, you are required to be married in the sacrament of marriage in a church. This is only for Catholics. So can your neighbor who's born and raised Baptist not married in a Catholic church, are they guilty of an invalid marriage? No. But baptized Catholics, we must have canonical form. That means we're married in the church. Next, marriage of non-Catholics. They may be valid, may be valid even if they didn't marry in a church. It's called a natural marriage. If two baptized Methodists get married down at the Methodist church, the Catholic church recognizes that as a valid marriage because they married in the way that they follow. That's why if you're going to be married as a Catholic to a divorced Protestant, they would still need an annulment because there was a valid marriage. Now, the couple must also freely and knowingly choose to enter the marriage. There must be free consent. All right. Not a shotgun wedding. All right. If you're forced into that and there's no free will and the dad says, you got my daughter pregnant, you don't marry her. Uh, you're going to disappear in the night some night. I'll see to it that my mafia friends make that happen. And he says, oh, okay, I'll marry your daughter. That's not valid. There's not free will. The couple next must understand what marriage is. This is probably the biggest reason. They must understand that marriage is a lifelong commitment, not a five-year test drive. They must understand that lifelong relationship has to be open to children. Again, my own family, my uncle, didn't want children from the beginning. Emphatically, we will not have children. We will not be open to children. Well, technically, it's not a valid marriage. Next, they must intend fidelity. This is where my sister's marriage was not valid. Her husband had a girlfriend, didn't intend to be faithful didn't intend the good of the other. And finally, they must have the physical and psychological ability to follow through with the intentions of the marriage. This is why the church even looks at things like impotence. I know this is difficult. 
This is very hard for a priest to explain this because so many people fall in these categories. But yet, the consequences are great. And so please hear Christ's words. When all of those things I just read are brought together, a sacramental, indissoluble union exists and it cannot be dissolved. There's no such thing as a Catholic divorce. No such thing. It can't be dissolved. Even if the civil government through divorce says it's dissolved, it's not. If every one of those things I just read are present, there is a valid marriage, sacramental marriage. Now an annulment states that one of those things was not present. Maybe you didn't have free will. Maybe your spouse had no intent of being faithful, no intent of having children. Maybe they're a threat to you. Annulment states that they were not present, these things at the time of the marriage, therefore it's invalid. An annulment again is not a Catholic divorce. Marriage was believed to be present, so the children are not illegitimate. And legal marriage was present, and therefore the children are not illegitimate. This is such a huge mis misunderstanding. So to finish a church decree of invalidity, that the marriage is not valid, does not imply that the marriage never existed. Hear this. This is, this is my last line, but probably the most important. A church degree, decree of invalidity does not imply that the marriage never existed, but only that it did not have the character of a sacrament. That's the confusion in the world. Now, tomorrow we invite you to join us live here at the shrine. If you're in the neighborhood, please come by. We'd like to meet you. I'll be giving a live talk on church teaching on sexuality. And a lot of it has to do with marriage or being unmarried. What is the church teaching of chastity? Do you know that even within marriage, people think that anything sexually goes? No, no. There are chastity moral guides for us. And this is what the church does. And we're going to show you all that tomorrow. Please join us at 11 o'clock because we have an opportunity to teach you what the church teaching is. And all of this comes uh, from my canon law course on marriage and the help of theologian Chris Sparks and others. It's a very deep subject, but one that's important. You know why all this is important? Because it leads to the gift of life. It leads to the gift of life. And thank you for your prayers for our special friend, Teresa, and her niece, Kimmy. And, and she's a physician. And so she sees the beauty of life. And, and to have these two children, we ask, Lord, to protect them in the womb, to be able to grant them um, the grace that they, they be born healthy and that they uh, come to live a beautiful life. This is the fruit of the beauty of union of a man and a woman. The beauty of the union of a man and a woman is so great that from it comes a third person. And in Kimmy's case, two persons.
So God bless you, Teresa, Kimmy, and the whole family. And God bless all of you for praying for us and for those intentions, especially for this happy birth. God's gift of marriage and life, there is nothing greater. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.